Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. My first conversation with Aline Huby, co-founder and CEO at the Exploration Company, was out of this world. Huby's company is creating a reusable space vehicle with amazing possibilities. The Nix will be modular, reusable, and in-orbit refuelable, carrying cargo and, in the long run, humans. The first prototype will launch in 2024, and Huby plans to be servicing the International Space Station by 2027. In today's program, Huby will join me to share her journey to develop, manufacture, and operate NICS sustainably, with the goal of democratizing space exploration. First, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning into this podcast, you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainable research and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities or to get in touch about building your perfect team. Hello, Helene, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hi, Paul. Thanks a lot for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. We've been looking forward to this program, and we're going to jump right into the questions that we have for you. And the first one is, in the two years your company has grown uh, from, it, from its start, from its launch, from a team of three to a team of over 80 people, why are you and your team so passionate about space exploration? I think the, the passion basically comes from pioneering something. I think we all realize in the team and many people in the world that part of our future, us as human, will happen in space. And building a vehicle that enables first cargo and then human to explore further, to settle in places that nobody settled so far, is taking part of you know pioneering our future. And I think what is very exciting for people here, we are based in Europe, is that such an ambition is very rare in Europe. We have a lot of competence, but sometimes like we miss the speed, we miss the ambition. So for, let's say, um, human, for engineers who are very knowledgeable, who are passionate about what they're doing, like to have the capacity to unleash their talent, to build something which is completely new, completely new in Europe, but we are also first in the world to privately fund such a vehicle. We are first in the world to use green propellant. So we're already pioneering something. I think this is a lot, um, you know, these are, these are basically the core of the reasons why people are so excited about building this company, about joining our company, about pioneering this future together. Okay, so you've mentioned uh, privately funded. Um, tell right. us about that that part of your journey as well and, and, and why you decided to privately fund the firm uh, to accomplish this mission over the long run. Yeah, it was quite a bet, I would say, at the beginning, because like uh, the capsule we are building is similar similar to Dragon, uh, similar to Soyuz. So this kind of capsule that bring cargo and human to space station, they've been 
always so far funded by um, space agencies. And uh, our bet was, okay, if we look at the launch area uh, with SpaceX, with Rocket Lab, we had pioneers basically starting to fund launchers or rockets with private. Why can't we do that with a capsule? And uh, before, the reason was that, well, there is very little business to be made because there is just one destination, just one station up there, which was the Inner Space Station. Now we have two stations, one Chinese station and also the Inner Space Station. And like tomorrow, we're going to have tens of stations, right? It's, it's going to grow just from now up to the end of the decade. We'll see probably two private stations popping up and being operational around the Earth. We'll see two stations around the moon being built and being operational. So there is a significant growth in terms of destinations. So it means doing the logistics between space and the station and bringing stuff back is becoming a business where you have scale, where you have much more missions than you have before. So there is a rationale for private investors, basically, to invest. So basically, this is what we saw. And indeed, we could also have waited in Europe to say, okay, hey, let's spend the time to convince Italy and France and Germany to agree together and then to find somewhere in their budget, like half a billion or 300 million euro. And then we'll wait up to this point and then, you know, we'll win the contract. But if we do that, you never know when this such a political agreement is going to happen. So we said, okay, let's create the momentum. Let's get out. I was an executive at Airbus and, you know, we, so me, part of my team decided just to jump out to build this company. And we were, we had to trust basically that, you know, if we create such a company, uh, it will create also some, some movement. It will create some momentum. And then we'll be able to work together with the European Space Agency, a bit like SpaceX has been working with NASA, um, to build something new. And as a matter of fact, actually, uh, just some um, one month and a half ago, the European Space Agency issued the first call for proposal in the whole history of the European Space Agency, which is a kind of cuts contract. So they're going to buy a service of a company, private company, that would bring cargo to International Space Station. So we start to win our bet, I would say, but it was, of course, a little bit bold at the beginning. It was bold to believe that this market would happen because we created a company in July 21. And actually, the very big contract of NASA vis-a-vis the private space station happened in December 21. So like after we created a company. So we really had to believe that this market would expand. And now it has become common that, hey, yeah, they're going to be private space station. But like two years ago, it was not so obvious to many people. So I, I think that's the reason for raising private money is that it was about the speed. It was about the trust that the market would, would exist. It was also, uh, you know, in Europe, we have, you have a system which is called your return. If you can compare it to the States, in the States, let's say, the States, they want to have, like, say, some money back for their for creating jobs. So they want the NASA budget to be big, but like, hey, I want to have this and that space companies that I want that NASA, you know, agrees on that program because I know at the end that's going to create jobs in my state. And we have a bit the same in Europe where like Italy and France and Germany, they are contributing to the European budget, but then in exchange, they want to have like activities back. And so if you receive public funding, you have to abide by the rules, which are the reviews rules, which are these zero return rules. If you receive private money, you choose your supply chain with the complete freedom. Like you choose a supplier, not because he's based in Italy or he's based in Germany, but because this is the best price for the best quality you can have globally in the whole market. So it gives you much more efficiency. That was also another reason to to choose uh, private funding. 
And uh, the way we, we did that, and we've been quite successful so far, because in 18 months, we raised one about 55 million USD, which is in, in a time of big crisis is, uh, is quite something. And it was the biggest you know, round ever raised in, in Europe by a space tech startup. Um, we, instead of saying, hey, we need to go for the perfect product and that's going to take us like five years, we said, okay, let's do something that is VC compatible. So we start with a small capsule that can be funded with just a few million euros. Mm -hmm. We're going to, to do a subscale capsule that we can fund with, let's say, double digit million USD. And then we go for the full model that, of course, we have to fund with triple digit million USD. But then the investors, they can see that we manage our costs, we manage our supply chain. Then we learn a lot at every step. It's not like we need to spend a huge amount of money to learn a lot. No, we learn a lot by spending a little bit amount of money. And then we also start to have revenue super fast because already for the second capsule that we're going to fly next year, it's sold out. So, you know, for a deep tech company, having paying clients year number two without any product flown already, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I'd say it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, I mean, exciting. It's very exciting and, and, you know, the team is amazing. So so I think the way we structured, I would say, the product roadmap and the technological development roadmap helped us a lot to raise that funding because it was a step-by-step -step approach and investors could see, could measure our progress against our promises. Thank you very much for that, uh, all of that information, Helene. Now, uh, my next question, of course, is uh, now we are currently facing just huge environmental and social challenges all, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, climate change is on everybody's mind every day now, given the, the droughts uh, uh, in various, in multiple, uh, every place, really, every, every continent in the, on the planet is being affected this, this summer and over this year we're probably going to end up running the highest average temperature on the planet since they were, have been measured. So what value does space exploration bring to uh, the, the context of human development uh, and global development of business opportunities uh, because of all of the other issues that we're dealing with today? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And uh, I, I really love it. And, you know, I want to be a bit provocative here because Please do. very often when, when you speak about space exploration, like the reaction is, okay, I mean, why the heck shall we go there? Mm. Like, why shall we do that? And then another comment that very often comes is, okay, but this is billionaire stuff. You have like private billionaires that are flying up, they are flying down, and it's for a few minutes they have fun and they're polluting a lot of planet. So there is, there is no good in that and there is no reason to do that. And this is so wrong. So let me explain a bit. Um, if you, you know, if you want to, if you want, if you want to live in a space station, right? Or let's say you want to go to the moon. It will take you. It will take you a few days. Or let's say you want to go to Mars, and it will take you a few months. Or you live in space station for typically astronauts now live in space station for six months. You live in an environment which is super, super harsh. Like on Earth, by definition, you cannot find such a harsh environment, perhaps in the deserts, perhaps under the sea, perhaps in the Antarctica, but like it's very, very harsh. Um, and it means that you have to think and to design and from a technological perspective to develop your way of living in a complete recycling manner. You have very little energy that you need to manage. You need to recycle everything. Like you take, what are the source of water when you are in the International Space Station? The water comes from urine, 
the water comes from the water you have in, in the air that, that, you, that you exhale when you speak and from a little bit of water from the experiment which are brought to space station. And that whole water is recycled and then used again. So we've come to recycling cycle in space because of the necessity of where we were, which is much more efficient than the one we have on Earth. And most of the membrane, purification membrane that we're using now on Earth actually are coming from inventions that were you know, developed in space station. Solar panel, that's also something that we developed for space to sustain very long travel and, and have energy for a very long time. Um, take something else, take agriculture, right? Today, m most of the, 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 let's say, the food which is eaten in space station is still brought with cargo. And okay, that's good for me because it's still, I still have some business there. <laughs> but, 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 um, but if you travel to Mars or if you are at a lunar gateway, which is currently being built, you want to think in a way where you're not dependent anymore from a, a cargo resupply. And especially if you go to Mars, you cannot be dependent on a cargo resupply because there is no cargo resupply. So you have to develop an agriculture system, which is flying in a spaceship, and it's, which is absolutely failure tolerant. Because if that agriculture system doesn't work, then you, 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 you'll just die. because It's not possible you, you're going to have enough food for six months to go to Mars and then six months back. You need to grow plants, but you need to grow them with very little energy, very constrained environment, everything recycled in the way the CO2 and the oxygen, you know, merge together for the plant. And in a way that is absolutely failure tolerant, you need to be able to lose one, two, three, four, five times your, you know, your plants and still have enough food. So you're in an environment where the research you do and the things you do are so constrained Actually, it has immense boomerang effect on the Earth because, like, it's like you are facing conditions which are much harder than the conditions you have on Earth, and because of that, you need to be disruptive in the way you develop technologies. And then this has a huge impact back on Earth. So people saying, "What's the point to explore? This is bad for the environment. This is just wrong. This is actually super good for the environment because this is the best way to develop completely new technologies that afterwards." will help us here on Earth, agriculture, water recycling, even like the plastic. In space station, you recycle the plastic. You take the plastic, which is you know, above the food, and it's, it's transformed into powder, and then it's printed to do repair pieces for the station. Like, imagine you scale that on Earth, and we are finished with the plastic problem, right? So, so that's one part, I would say, of the environmental uh, impact of space exploration is actually to develop new technologies which are super useful and serving basically uh, the Earth to make our life more sustainable on Earth because we have to be highly sustainable when we fly in space, as simple as that. The other part is more like, hey, when we go to space, and this is true, we create carbon impact. And we fly sometimes stuff which are very toxic, uh, like, you know, solid rocket engine, they're really not good for the environment, etc. So here, it's a bit for me like the aviation. We, as industry, have to take responsibility and have to step-by-step step develop new technologies which are much more sustainable. So at the exploration company, and we're just two years old, the first choice we made was to say, okay, we're going to use for our capsule that you see in the background, for our capsule, we're going to use green propellant. What does that mean? Most of the exploration vehicles today they function with what is called hydrazine or derivatives from hydrazine. This is very, very toxic. Like you smell it, more or less you die. 
So the way you fuel your spacecraft is not like you and me like now in normal clothes. You need to have a scaphander because you cannot smell, you cannot touch. So it's very, very toxic. So since around about 10 years, there was some technological developments to develop new types of propellant, less toxic, also with less carbon impact. And uh, now what we're doing is that we're, it was developed for, let's say, a low performance. Uh, in space, we speak in terms of thrust, so a newton. Uh, and it was developed up to around about 25, 50 newton. And now we're scaling this technology so that we can have it for 200 newton, even a bit more and to have it with the right level of reliability so that we can really do very precise maneuver and go to station, et cetera. So that's one of our key technology that we are currently developing. Uh, and you know, with that, it means that we make flying in space much more sustainable. So that, that's one part that we're taking very seriously. And it's very serious because it's also a technical risk for the company. It's not like it's cool to have a new techno, but like if we don't master that, we're going to have problems flying, right? So, so that, that's really a commitment that we took. And we also engaged, but it's not finished yet, yet in a certification uh, process so that we can measure and then reduce our carbon footprint. But okay, this, this is for the end of the year, not done yet. But yeah, I wanted to underline these, let's say, two directions. On the one hand, everything we do for space exploration in terms of technological development has huge impact on Earth for the benefit of the Earth, because we have to be highly sustainable when we fly in space. Like, otherwise, we don't fly people, as simple as that. <laughs> and the other part is, yes, but we still pollute when we get out of the Earth. And, and here we need to work on new technologies and also measure our impact and reduce this carbon impact. And, and that's, that's what we're doing at the Expression Company. Well, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how regulators around the world, uh, let's say in this case in Europe, are going to uh, measure your carbon footprint from the data that you provide for them. Uh, it, it sounds like it's a, a because you're going to be required, like every for-profit company in those markets, um, that uh, this is going to be a really interesting way to learn a lot more about how carbon pollution and other greenhouse gas pollutions are impacting uh, things and, as you're suggesting, technologies that can be developed to reduce that impact on Earth as well. So. Thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed that explanation of, of how you're, you're going to be solving those kinds of problems. Now, here's another problem that's much more personal uh, for you and your, your, your personal career, and that is the fact that you have four children. You run a company and a foundation and an investment fund, which we haven't even talked about yet, uh, and we haven't even mentioned in this conversation. How so include them in your answer to this question. How are you managing all of this complexity in your personal life and in your professional life? Yeah, so um I think it's a question of character at the end, you know, people <laughs> have people who love doing many things, there are people who love doing just one thing. So uh, I love I love being very uh, very I would say very active. Uh, I think it's also because I think each of us, you know, we have a set of talents. Yes. Uh, some people have, you know, more artistic talent. Some people have more mathematic talent, some, you know, whatever. And we have like an asset, which is our lifetime. And the question is, how do we use, how do we unleash these talents uh, to serve, you know, the community in which, in which we are basically. So um, my community is, is space. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living in Europe, but I'm just like a global citizen. So question for me, like, how can I serve this community? How can I make, you know, make space basically a better place? And and coming from where I am, which is Europe, but like serving also other other people in the world. So that's why we're doing this spaceship. Uh, but how I manage all of that, I think it's also a question of um, in of priorities for a certain period of time, uh, because of course it's very difficult to do everything at the same time. And and personally, I think I you know I couldn't do everything. So I had a I had a first I would say period of my life where uh, we we married with my husband, and I really want to give time to family and children. So we had our four children. I was working part time, um, and uh, and then there was a time when. I started Airbus and I felt in love with space and and I said to my husband, okay, look, like I really love what I'm doing and I want to give so much more and I I, I feel I'm very frustrated if I stay at home. So I was not staying at home, but like I need to work much more. I need to give more to to my work, and uh, I had the chance that um, he listened and uh, he let's say accepted not to go as fast as his career in his career as he could have gone actually. Uh, which is very rare, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and before we we started, before we started the exploration company, I had a discussion with him and with the children, um, saying, "Okay, I'm going to start a, a project which is going to be very, very difficult, which is a long project. Like building spacecraft is not something you do in one year, neither in two years. It takes four, five years, and then you're you're engaging. You know, I'm engaging my life for like probably until I retire, right? Because there will be always improvement to be done. There'll be new things to be developed if we're successful." So you'll you'll see me like very, very, very little. What do you think about that? And every child was like one person saying, okay, that's your project, mom. You need to do it. And 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 no, but if you think about it, right? For people who have children, we, we love our children. And what do we want? We want them to do things which make them happy. We want them to unleash their talents. And that our children, they love us. So why wouldn't they be willing the same for us? Right? I, I, I think we think, hey, we need to be with them. It's super important. Of course, this is super important. And, you know, I think my, my husband wouldn't have accepted to, let's say, work a bit less. And he's CEO of, of a company, so it's not like he's working not at all. He's, he's working a lot. But, like, career is not his first priority for him right now. It's more family versus career. Um, Probably I wouldn't have done that choice because we still believe like being there is important. But but like being there all the time, I'm not sure this is adding value because we, we need to be mothers, of, of course, also for our children. And I can share with you a very small anecdote. I was running with the, the my fourth daughter, so like the, she, she's the, the youngest one. And she was asking me, um, how, how did you go into space, like, et cetera? And I was telling her, okay, when it actually it's by chance because I was just following my husband. I had to look for a new job, and that, that's how I, you know, I entered at Airbus. And then I really, literally, felt in love with space and learned, like, starting reading everything I could about space and etc. And I, I told her before I, I started Airbus, I had another job proposal where I could have worked part time, and it was for me difficult to choose between working full time at Airbus, where I knew perhaps something would happen because I was feeling space could be like really a passion for me and then I would see less the family or choosing this part-time job and she looked at me and said but mom but of course you chose Airbus and it was such a great <laughs> choice so you know I got the, the confirmation feedback yes. that actually 
it's again it depends on the personality and I, I certainly don't want to be judgmental but um what i've learned is that we have each person has different flame my flame is about space is about creating stuff building stuff doing things that are going to change the world for the better and i need to express that otherwise i'm just not who i am and the children can feel that and they are happier if basically we unleash who we are in comparison with I'm restraining myself because I think I had to be next to them. And this is not a great example we're giving to our children. So that is why it's, I think it makes things much easier in my case. And then with regards to okay, the investment fund and with regards to the foundation, before I started the expression company, it was very clear for me, the expression company. So that's going to be my top one priority for the next 10, 20 years, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so I need to get organized. And I hired a managing partner for the fund. I hired also a managing, a managing director from the foundation. And they are now leading these two, let's say, projects. Organizations, sure. Organizations. And I'm just like chairing. So having half an hour discussion with them per week, which is, you know, it's absolutely fine. Well, thank you very, very much for sharing all of that personal information with us and especially the experience of discussing with and getting your children's feedback on what you're doing. Now, uh, we want to find out where online our listeners for the Sustainable Finance Podcast can learn more about the Exploration Company and how our followers can contact you with questions about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode. So, um, yeah, it's very easy. You can go on our website. So it's exploration.space. And uh, if you have some questions about the expression company, also if you'd like to join the company or like have some sustainability questions, you can write at teams at exploration.space. Terrific. All right. Well, thank you very much, Helene Huby, co-founder and CEO at the Exploration Company. And for our listeners, if you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis. And this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.